0: Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad you're with us today. And uh, we want to welcome you to the online service and everybody that's at Fenwick Island. So, hey, listen. Hello. It's good to see everybody. Every time I see that video, well, it makes me want to play Atari. And uh, we're in a series called Pitfalls, and we're really excited about what we're going to be talking about today. I think it's going to be helpful to all of us, including myself, and we're looking forward to that. But before I get started, I want to say a big shout out to our online family. We have people listening in many different states, and I'm hearing from so many of you guys, so thank you so much for listening, and uh, if you would, just do me a favor and let me know today uh, where you're listening from. I'd like to greet you and uh, just uh, just kind of see where everybody's coming from that's listening, and also, if you would do me a favor to share this, uh, this podcast or this experience with other people uh, in whatever mo- uh, media uh, uh, platform you use, we'd just love for you to do that, and I want to say a big shout out to Fenwick Island. I love you guys, love Pastor Jeremy and Reagan and everybody down there there, and Mickey, and just love you guys. And I want to say a big hello to Sam and Lucy Richardson that's there all the time serving. We love you guys. Thank you for what you're doing for the new church there in Famic Island. Well, let me get started today. We're in a series called Pitfalls, and we're looking at the things that can become uh, pitfalls in our Christian life as we follow the Lord. Maybe you're a new father to the Lord, or maybe you've been serving the Lord for decades. Uh, it doesn't matter how long you have your faith in Christ, but we can also, all experience pitfalls and difficulties that we deal with. So we we talked about all already. We talked about distractions, with distraction of pleasure and money. We talked about how sometimes we can get kind of completely uh, derailed by different things. And we talked about worry in this series. But today I want to talk about something that I think is a pitfall for almost everybody. And uh, I think maybe some people more than others, but I think this is a, a really, really common pitfall that we all struggle with. And that is fixation on negative people. Fixational negative people, what, the, what does that mean? That means that there are uh, real tendencies, some pitfalls we fall into involve people that we're thinking about that we have difficulty with, and we're constantly thinking about those people. Uh, I, I love to listen to Henry Cloud. He's a psychologist from Los Angeles, and he's got a really, really great uh, daily program that I listen to almost every day. And Henry Cloud said, who is living in your mind without paying rent? Who's living in your mind without paying rent? I think what he means by that is who's taking up mental space, emotional space of your life, and they're not really benefiting you by thinking about them. So that's something we need to really uh, wonder about. You know, there's a lot of times you know we have conflict in, in our family. Maybe it's uh, with a sister or a brother, or maybe it's with an adult child. Uh, sometimes you know you see all these dysfunctional things that happen in families. Sometimes where people aren't getting along, and, and when there's a family get together, uh, blood pressure goes up because we have all of these issues that we're dealing with, with people that we're related to. So that can happen. It can happen uh, with maybe uh, an in-law, that someone that married into your family, you got that issue going on and maybe you don't get along so well. And so just learning to get along in life is such a big deal. Maybe it's a co-worker, somebody that you work with and they're just driving you crazy. Somebody you work with all the time and you just have conflict with them and Or maybe it's a boss or someone that works for you, and you have this sort of mental uh, space that's taken up by that person, and you're sort of obsessive thinking about that person and how the relationship's not healthy, and you're just using up all of this energy to think about people. It can happen uh, historically. I think about historically what's happened to uh, people that don't get along, and uh, one of my favorite uh, stories is about Winston Churchill and Nancy Astor. Here's a picture of them. Nancy Astor, by the way, was an American woman that was, a, some say, the first uh, woman to ever be a part of the British Parliament. And she was a part of the British Parliament in the uh, beginning, I think, in it was 1819 to 1845, a long political career. And Winston Churchill, of course, you know, he was part of Parliament, then became Prime Minister during World War II. And uh, these two people didn't get along. They didn't get along at all. And, and in fact, Winston Churchill said, I don't want to have anything to do with that woman. I don't have anything to do with that woman. And maybe you got some people like that in your life. But one of the most interesting things that was ever said between them is Lady Astor, Lady Nancy Astor, one time said of Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I would put poison in your tea. And what did Winston Churchill say? He said, well, if you were my wife, I would drink it. I would drink it you know, that's a pretty negative relationship there. Uh, In American history, uh, in 1804, there was a duel between Alexander Hamilton. Here's a picture of of that famous duel, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton had this incredibly uh, tense relationship, and it goes way back through a lot of different things. And one of the reasons was that in the 1800 election, uh, Aaron Burr was running against Thomas Jefferson, and they really tied. And it was in the Electoral College that the vote had to be decided. And so what happened is that Alexander Hamilton uh, sort of led the charge to make sure Aaron Burr was not president. And then in 1804, uh, Aaron Burr was running for the governorship of New York, and Alexander Hamilton worked against him so he wouldn't get elected. And so they had a duel. And it's an Interesting story. Weehawken, New Jersey. Uh, I think it was July eleventh, eighteen o four. They had this duel, and that was how they would solve uh, disputes of honor in those days. And we believe that Alexander Hamilton shot in the air above uh, Aaron Burr, but Aaron Burr took uh, aim at Alexander Hamilton and shot him, and he died the next day. And what happened with this was was this it virtually completely ruined Aaron Burr's future. It ruined his future. And he was. Not a, he was not uh, held guilty for that duel because of common practice. But he never ever again regained himself politically. Now here's something about focusing on negative people. When you focus on negative people, or if I focus on negative people, people that have given us a hard time or people that were struggling with their family, people that we're struggling with in some arena of our life, when we allow people to become, uh, take up that space in our mind, it destroys our potential. Here's an important thing. An important thing for us to remember is that we can never reach our full potential as Christians, as people in the marketplace. We can never reach our uh, perfect potential if we are fixated on negative people. Here's what Zig Ziglar said. Zig Ziglar said this. He said, you cannot climb as high as you were meant to climb with bitterness in your heart. You cannot climb as high as you were meant to climb with bitterness in your heart. So if you've got uh, bitterness in your heart, it's going to keep you from becoming everything you can become. So when you're fixated on a negative person that you're angry with, that you're upset with, that you're thinking about all the time, as you focus on that person, it's going to limit you. It's going to limit you, and it's going to take away the potential that God has for you. It's a great story in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. book of Esther is a very interesting story, and the book of Esther is about this guy by the name, of, there's a whole lot of characters in the, in the story. Of course, Esther's the, one of the main characters. But uh, there's this guy named Haman in the story. And Haman was a, a Persian official that Xerxes, the king, raised way up and gave him a big uh, big promotion. And uh, he was just flying high, doing so good. But there was one guy by the name of Mordecai that didn't show him honor. And he began to, like, uh, anytime that uh, Haman would walk through the city gates, everybody would bow down show him respect. But Mordecai, because he was a Jew and wasn't supposed to worship people or an idol, he wouldn't bow down. And so Haman became incredibly angry about Mordecai. And all he could think about, all he could think about was Mordecai. All he could think about was Mordecai. And, and he had all these good things in his life. He had all this prosperity. The king gave him favor. He was, he was uh, uh, excelling uh, in his career. But he was fixated on Mordecai, and long story short, it's a great book to read, Uh, long story short is that he kind of devised this thing where he was going to persecute the Jews, and he had a gallow made, a gallows made to hang Mordecai on it, 75 feet tall, tall, 75 feet tall. And what happened ironically in the story, and there's a lot of things that happened, I don't have time to go into it all, but it ended up that Haman was hung On the gallows he made for Mordecai. And so when he was fixated on that negative. A person in his life it destroyed his life it destroyed his future so that's an important thing for us to remember so make sure when you think about uh, this whole idea of being fixated on a negative person in your life it could be you know your mother-in-law could be your father-in-law it could be somebody you work with it could be somebody even in the church somebody you're struggling with if you are thinking about them and fixated on them it will limit your potential because remember what Zig Ziglar said Zig Ziglar said you cannot As high as you are supposed to climb with bitterness in your heart. Let me just talk to you a little bit about this this idea Uh, It's important for us to remember that good people Good people have conflict with each other. Sometimes we think that it's a it's a Evil person and a good person that makes up conflict but that's certainly not true because sometimes there are two good people two really wonderful people that love the Lord, that are good people, people of integrity, that have difficulty. So we've got to kind of rethink and reframe that idea about conflict because conflict is not always between a good person and a bad person. Many times there's two good people that are struggling. In the book of Philippians, let me give you a great example of this, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, uh, we're going to put it on the screen here, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, Paul is finishing his letter to the Philippians, Philippi, uh, the church of Philippi, a wonderful church, and one of the last things he says to them, he says, Says, I plead with Yeota and I plead with Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. Next verse. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side. That means to struggle. They struggle to help plant the church at Philippi. They're godly people. Uh, they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So basically, we have Syndicate and Uota, wonderful, wonderful people. Wonderful women. They love the Lord. They're incredible. They love Jesus. They're serving in the church and their conflict between them. And evidently, everybody knows about their conflict. And Paul addressed it openly. He said, I plead, I beg with Yoda and Syndicate to get along, to be of the same mind, to get on the same page, to remember that we're here planning a church and doing something incredible. But these good people, Yoda and Syndicate, godly women whose names are written in the Landscape of book of life, have conflict. Say this with me. In fact, you can kind of type it in uh, at, your, at your space there if you're watching online. Good people can have conflict. Good people can have conflict. That's important for us to remember, and it's, uh, it's very, very good. And sometimes when you think about it, you see people in conflict, and, and we think, oh, this person, you know, is wearing the black hat, and that person's wearing the white hat. That's n- never the case, never the case. In every relationship where there's conflict, there's always issues on both sides. Now, what I think is really interesting about this, when I read about Yoda and syndicate in a Philippians chapter 4, uh, here's, here's me here's me, here's how I think. I want to know, what are they fighting about? I want to know, what are they fighting about? What was the issue? And why didn't Paul say, well, listen, you know, you're arguing about who's supposed to, uh, you know, take up communion and whose turn it is to sing. Uh, He doesn't really go into the issue. And I really want to know, what are they fighting about? What's their contention about? Was it just a personality thing or was it some issue? And Paul doesn't really address the issue at all. Here's why he doesn't do that. Because if you're, like me, inquiring minds, want to know. I want to know, what are they fighting about? Paul didn't even go into what they were fighting about. Because listen to this. The relationship is always more important than the issue. The relationship is always more important than the issue. Paul's not dealing with the issue. He's dealing with the relationship. And we need to always value the relationship above the issue. And I don't know if they ever ever got along? I don't know if they ever worked it out. That's the other thing that really bothers me about this little uh, thing in the, in the New Testament here. I don't know what they were fighting about, and then I don't know if they listened to Paul's advice or not. We don't know if they got their relationship patched up, and so it's kind of a, an unresolved story in the New Testament. Did Yoda and Syndicate ever get along? Did they ever figure out their problem? And so many times we want to see closure, and we don't always see closure in relationships. I remember one time I was preaching in Germany, and uh, I was uh, on a mission trip. Many years ago, I was a pretty young pastor then, and I was doing a three-week tour in Germany, got to preach in a lot of different churches there, and I just loved preaching there, and of course, I don't pre- I don't speak German uh, at all, so I was using an interpreter, and uh, so I was preaching at this one church, uh, I can't remember where it was in Germany, it was a very modern church, way back when there weren't many modern churches, the stage was cool, kind of looked like this, and really a cool church, and it was maybe seventy-five, hundred people there, and I was speaking, and I was preaching about bitterness and unforgiveness. And you know, sometimes as a preacher, when you preach on uh, bitterness and unforgiveness, you just wonder if anybody's listening. You don't know if they're listening or if they're gonna do anything about it. And uh, I'm preaching and the interpreter's going and I'm preaching my heart out. And in the middle of my sermon on unforgiveness, one guy on this side, an elder in the church stood up. And he pointed to a guy on the other side of the church that happened to be the landlord that owned the building. And the elder said to the landlord, I am so sorry. My heart hasn't been right before you. And I want you to know that I forgive you and I want you to forgive me. And they just had this thing in front of everybody right in the middle of my sermon. Right in the middle of my sermon, I thought, that is so wild. You know, I'm used to preaching and all that, but I wasn't expecting to see anything happen right at that moment. And so these guys, as they kind of mended their fences in front of the whole congregation, then they walked in front of me and they embraced them. These two brothers, you know, Germans are They're kind of like, they're kind of like right straightforward, kind of like, you know, tell you how it is kind of people. And these are like really, really intense Germans, they just hugged each other and they're speaking in German right in front of me. And I, you know, I'm like I'm trying to finish my sermon but it really doesn't matter because what I was preaching about was actually being lived out right in front of my eyes now I don't know if Yoda and syndicate ever got it worked out but we do know this that there were two godly women who loved Jesus and really were passionate about the Lord and they had conflict and Paul addressed them and he was trying to teach them that the relationship is always more important than the issue that's true in marriage It's true in every relationship. So sometimes when I'm having a conflict with somebody, one of the things I have to recognize is that maybe the issue is not really the main thing to be concerned about. Sometimes the issue just has to lay low for a while. As you value the relationship, the relationship is what is most important. So good people... Good people, you know, the person you're having conflict right now, don't demonize that person. Don't make them evil in your head. You know, you got, you're painting horns on them in your head. You're like, they're like, they're just these terrible people and and you got all this, you're demonizing the people in your mind that you're having conflict with. But listen, good people, good people, two good people have conflict. It's not simply a good person and a bad person. And so we see that in the book of Philippians. Also, we could take some more time. We're not going to take a lot of time on this point. But in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, we find Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul having conflict. It says that uh, they wanted to go on. Paul said, let's go back and visit the churches we planted on our first missionary tour. And he said that to Barnabas. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along. And John Mark had bailed on the first missionary journey. And so the Bible says that that. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp dispute, such a sharp dispute. What does that mean? That means that they had a knockout, blowout argument about what to do. And here's the godly man, Paul, who wrote, by the way, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. And then they're arguing about John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So we have people that wrote the Bible that are having conflict. And so the Bible says that Barnabas went his way, and Paul went his way, and we think that later on that they joined back together because Paul later said, bring John Mark to me because he's helpful, for, helpful to me in the ministry. So good people can have conflict. Here's something to remember about uh, when, you, when you're fixated on a negative person in your life, someone that, you, that you're having a struggle with. When you're fixated on a person that's negative in your life, you give that person control over your life. You give that person control over your life. So basically, if you are thinking about somebody in your HOA or you're thinking about one of your adult siblings uh, uh, or you're thinking about uh, somebody in your life that's caused you pain and you have conflict with, if you're thinking about them all the time, you basically have given them control over your life. You've given them control over your life. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a story of Samson where, you know, he had his head in the lap of Delilah, and the Philistines captured him, and they gouged out his eyes, and it says that they bound Samson, and that meant that they led him everywhere he went. When you think about somebody that's negative in your life, you've given that person the capacity to control you and to lead you. Right now, you know, I did the knee surgery this week, and and uh, getting through all that and uh, here's the thing about my knee surgery is I, I can't drive. I can't drive and I'm used to driving my pickup and used to doing whatever I want to and I have to sit there while Karen drives my pickup and she drives me around and when you have somebody that you are bitter toward that you're thinking about all the time and they're taking up all that mental space in your head, you're letting them control you and drive you wherever you go. So one of the things to say to yourself is, I want to be free. And if I want to be free, I have to forgive the person of, of that's, that's hurt me or disappointed me, that's given me a hard time. I forgive them, I release them. That's the, what the word forgiveness means, is the word, it's the, in the Greek, it's the a word of phēmi which means to let go or release. And if I release that person, they can't control me anymore. I heard of Stephen Covey who wrote you The know, Seven Habits for Affected People, he wrote some other books as well. I read several of Stephen Covey's books when uh, he was living and one, what an incredible guy. But uh, he wrote in one of his books about this administrator at this university that had a really good job. He had this incredible job at this, administ- uh, at this uh, university. He was an administrator and had this really, really great position. But because he had a trouble with a co-worker, that's all he could think about, all he could think about was co-worker he just thought about that co-worker all the time and he was so upset and that co-worker made him so angry and that he decided to quit his job and relocate to another state to get another job to get away from that co-worker and Stephen Covey said to him have you noticed how you're rearranging your whole life around this one person you are rearranging your whole life around this one person so when you are fixated or if I am fixated on a negative person in our life, we give that person absolute control over our life. And the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The Lord wants you and the Lord wants me to be liberated and free. And if, in order for that to happen, we have to let go of our bitterness toward that person. So that's another thing that we need to remember. Now here's a couple little uh, practical tips for you about, uh, about bitterness and all that. Uh, here's, here's something I think is real important. Here, here's the deal about, about negative people in your life, people that you think about. And when I say negative people, I mean people that have hurt you or people that you struggle with uh, or something that is just not a positive relationship. And let me just say this to everybody that's listening at Fenwick Island right now and everybody listening online, you are not weird if you have a negative relationship. Negative relationships are a universal experience for almost everybody. You look in the New Testament, those people had negative relationships. People are people are people, and we all struggle. But here's something to remember. This will really help you when you think about getting along uh, in your mind and not letting your mind be taken over with negative people. First thing is, this is very important. I cannot control a negative person's behavior. I cannot control a negative person's behavior or their attitude. Now, that seems simple enough. Everybody seems to know that, but we really don't in our head. We think if we can just do this, we can make that person different. If we can just try this, we can change their attitude. If we can just try, you know, this apology or this kind of like way of relating to them, they will become a different person. Listen, I'm not a fatalist. People can change, but some people have chosen to be who they are. And you have to accept that that is who that person is. That person is not a person that's going to respond or think the way you think they should respond. I remember one time I was talking to a lady that came in for counseling. It was actually a young lady, and she was having so much trouble with her dad. Her dad just never expressed any gratitude to her, never any warmth, no appreciation. And she just came in disappointed, 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 disappointed. And one day I said to her, I said, you know, what you need to remember is that your dad is what he is today. He's the same thing he was 10 years ago. And you keep going to a well that's dry, and you take your bucket, and you crank it down there, hoping there's going to be water there. And there wasn't water there last time. There wasn't water there the time before. This is who your dad is. And as she began to accept that reality, is it the ideal? Is it how it's supposed to be? Absolutely not, but it's how it is. And learning to accept that. Now, the Lincoln Memorial, here's a picture of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Some of you have been to the Lincoln Memorial. 19 feet tall, 36 pillars around the Lincoln Memorial, which represents the 36 states that were uh, in place during the Civil War. uh, And 19 feet tall. If Lincoln stood up here, it would be 28 feet tall. It's, It's enormous. But can you imagine walking... To the uh, Lincoln Memorial, and you look at him. He's always, you know, got his hands on 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 the throne there, and he's got that sort of stern look on his face as he's contemplating the Civil War. And you see Lincoln there. And if you come back the next day, you know, you think, well, you know, you're never going to find Lincoln. If you come back the next day, you're never going to find him with his hands up in the air, like he's like he's charismatic or something. Uh, you're not going to ever find him with his with his hands folded. You're never going to find him with like he's playing Simon Says with his hands on his head. He's always going to be that way. That's how Lincoln is going to look because Lincoln is in stone. Some relationships are that way and you have to come to the conclusion that you are not responsible for the attitude of the person that you're trying to relate to. And sometimes we carry... uh, we carry undeserved guilt about a relationship that we can't seem to resolve. And we've tried. We've tried to work at it. We've tried to rectify it. We've tried to make it work, but it is basically in stone, and that is the relationship. That's the person. Now, that person could change if the Holy Spirit, you know, works in their heart and they open themselves to the Holy Spirit. They can become a different person, but some people have chosen not to change, and you are not responsible for their attitude. You're not responsible for their attitude. They are responsible for their attitude. You're responsible for your attitude and how you respond. And so you have to be loving and caring and merciful to people. So just say this with me, and maybe you can kind of type it in the, uh, the line there if you're watching this. Just say this, I am not responsible for another person's attitude, and it's, con- it's time to let go of the false guilt. That's an important thing. I have to tell you, that's really been helpful to me. My wife, Karen, has been very helpful with me in this area because I'm a very conscientious person. I want to have really good relationships with everybody. And there are certain people in this world that as much as you love them, as much as you serve them, as much as you apologize to them, as much as you try to make that relationship work, they are set in stone. That's what they are. And you have to accept that. That's an important thing. And that's uh, something that we, we kind of just accept in life. That's important. So that's important. Let me give you a couple, uh, another thing, you know, about, you know, when you have uh, relationship issues. Here's one of the things that I always do, and this is very important in the process of accepting somebody. I also always take, take responsibility for my own mistakes. And we all need to take responsibility for our own mistakes and make sure we handle that okay. And uh, when Karen and I first got married, um, you know, we, we lived in this little cottage House in Laurel Uh, used to be Delmarva campground and it was a little cottage We lived there for a couple months when we first got married and uh, I had a bad habit Of leaving my socks on the floor and I don't know if there's any other men out there You have a bad habit of leaving your socks on the floor, but I remember this issue I remember there was this little lady little old lady named Miss Annie that went to my dad's church and she would walk around uh, Come to our back door and she would knock on the door and she always asked me. Are you picking up your dirty socks? are you picking up your dirty socks you know what makes relationships work in your marriage make sure you pick up your dirty socks take responsibility the Bible says confess your faults one to another that you may be healed own your mistakes own what you can own but at the end of the day the other person is responsible for their gratitude, not you and that's an important thing for us to remember let me read you a scripture real quickly perhaps the most uh, important verse in the New Testament about forgiveness and bitterness is found in the book of Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says this see to it that means to focus on pay attention to uh, it's the word uh, episcopio and it means to aim at or be very careful be very precise about see to it Guard against bitterness, it's a big deal. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Whenever anybody has hurt you or offended you or given you a hard time and your heart's been wounded and you say, boy, I can't forgive him. I can't let go of this, I can't let go of the bitterness, the Bible says that uh, don't fall short of the grace of God. In other words, every time somebody hurts you, every time somebody wounds you, God hands you grace He gives you ability to be able to deal with that so hey just say this in your heart right now I can deal with the pain in my heart because God has given me grace so that's an important verse see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many so you know when you get bitter and, you know, you got anger in your heart and angst in your heart towards somebody. There's no way you can be quiet about it. You're going to be talking to other people about it. Karen and I were at, the, uh, at Rehoboth the other night, and uh, we were getting th- uh, Thrasher's French fries. And we, I was sitting in the truck, and Karen went to get the French fries because of my leg thing. And uh, we're at this temporary parking spot, and she's getting the Thrasher's French fries, which, by the way, were amazing. And uh, she uh, was gone for a little bit, and there was this gal in, in walking on the sidewalk right in front of me. She had a little girl, and she was maybe 25, 26, and she was talking into her into her cell phone, and she was just, just full of venom and anger at somebody. I suppose maybe it was a boyfriend that had jilted her or something. I don't know what it was, but she was so angry, and whatever bitterness was in her heart was going into that phone and was going into the ear of the other person, and so that bitterness was spreading. So it says that when we have bitterness in our heart, we don't deal with it, we're going to spread that everywhere. You know, during Corona right now, we're keeping our mask on. We don't want to spread any germs or whatever. But you know, when, when we become bitter, if I become bitter or if you become bitter, we can just spread that and we can defile many people. Let me just, uh, in the few moments I have less, let me, let me talk a little bit about some areas we can get bitter in. And some of these are a little sensitive, so I'm aware of that. But let me just say some areas that we can get bitter in. Number one, uh, especially as you come into the fall, we can get bitter politically. We can get bitter politically. I was just reading this week about... about Charles Sumster, Sumter uh, in, uh, in, it was 1856 in the Senate. Uh, he was attacked by Preston Brooks. Here's a picture of this. Uh, there was all this angst about slavery, and uh, Preston Brooks attacked uh, the senator from Massachusetts, Charles Sumter, who was an ab- abolitionist, and just beat him senseless. He beat him so bad that this guy couldn't come back to work in the Senate for three and a half years. He was in, injured that bad, and there was that, all that angst anger uh, around the Civil War. And I feel in our country there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of angst right now. And believers in Jesus, we need to lead the way in responding uh, in a loving way toward other people. And we have, uh, we have uh, the perfect right to be uh, engaged with political ideas and disagree. All that's so important. But you know, there's a fine line between political debate and political hating other people. But let me just say what the Lord recently said to me as I was watching TV and there was somebody on TV that kind of got my blood pressure going up a little bit and the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and uh, you know I don't agree with them politically and I wouldn't vote for them to run a pet shop. But the Lord touched my heart and he said something about my attitude toward them. And here's what he said. He said, he said if they were the only person living on the planet if they were the only person living on the planet, I would have sent my son to die for them because I love them that much. And I had to ask myself the question how can I hate? How can I be fixated and negative about a person that God loves? God loves them so much. And so my goal is to be making sure that I can be thoughtful and Passion about values and all of that, but at the end of the day, believers, Christians who follow Jesus, have no right and no liberty to hate somebody that they disagree with politically. Now let me give you a scripture as I end this and uh, important important thing here here 's what it says in uh, I think it 's first John. This is a really great verse. it convicts me every time first John says uh, I'll find it here in a second. 1 John 4, 20 through 21. Listen to these verses before we, we end today. 1 John 4, 20, verse 21. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. So if I hate somebody that is a part of a party that I'm not a part of, then the Bible says that I'm a liar, that I don't really love the Lord. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. And then James says uh, this, James 3, verses 9 through 11, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So everybody that I struggle with, everybody that you struggle with, everybody that is that negative person in your mind, everybody that you struggle with has been made in the image of God. And God, if they were the only person on this planet, the Lord would have given his son to die for them. That's, how, that's the magnitude of his love for them. So as we think about pitfalls, let's think about making sure our heart is pure that our heart is not fixated on a negative person because if we have this negative attitude toward this negative figure in our mind, we'll never become the people God wants us to become. Would you raise your hands with me right now? Those of you that are in Femicon, would you lift your hands up and ask the Holy Spirit to just do a fresh work in your heart? Those of you that are watching online, let's ask the Lord to bless us right now as we pour our hearts out to the Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for your incredible love and your incredible mercy We want to thank you that you are consistent in loving us. And so, Father God, as you're consistent in loving us, help us to export the love that we have received from you to other people. We love you. We honor you. And we thank you for the many ways that you're working in our life. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And everybody said amen and amen. Love you guys. And we'll see you next Sunday for part four.